The message of our book is really simple. There are billions and billions of ways to be dead and a very, very few ways to be alive. And uh, the very few ways to be alive require some special properties of the body. Without all those properties in place, you're not going to make it. Without your skin, you'd be dead. If your heart beats too fast or too slow, you're dead. If you can't get iron through your gastrointestinal tract to make hemoglobin so your blood can carry oxygen to all those trillions of cells, you're dead. You know, if your liver doesn't have all the right properties or can't make all the right chemicals, you're dead. So there's just so many ways that your body can fail and there's so few ways that it can work. That's really what the book is about, is to, to identify how special that is. I love Howard Glicksman because he's an expert in how body fails. That's his job. He's, he works in hospice. He knows pretty much every way your body can fail, and he's pretty good at deflecting those things. So he's a great, he's inspirational. He's brilliant. He's got great insight. I love the guy. Our book details uh, everything that's required for the, for the body to survive. As a physician who spends his days trying to keep people alive, I can speak from experience that I know how all the different systems in the body work together to keep, to keep it going. Um, there's no question in my mind that this is all requires built-in engineering, which points towards intelligent design. It's a chicken and egg problem. It's probably the mother of all chicken and egg problems. But your body has to solve all the problems all the time. If you if you mess up, you're dead. So this is a real problem for an embryo in the womb because it doesn't have all of its systems. So how is, how is it alive while it's developing its own systems? Well, it's relying on its mother to, to overcome these problems. So now you've got two individuals at, at different points in their life cycle that whose bodies are communicating with each other. So there's a causal hurdle. How do you get over that one? It's a chicken and egg problem. That's probably the mother of all chicken and egg problems. So the causal hurdle with an embryo and its mother is that they're communicating. They have, they have lots of structures that they share, like the, uh, the placenta actually grows out of the tissue of the two, and they're sharing chemical signals back and forth. And when it's time, when the baby is ready to be born, it signals the mother using chemical signals. So how can you build that gradually when you have to have it to have a next generation? I mean, there's, nobody has ever addressed a problem like that. So that's why we call that a causal hurdle. That's the only way to get over a causal hurdle of this kind is to build lots of stuff at the same time. When you get to a large multicellular organism, like the human body, I've got to find a way to get all the things my cells need to them from the environment. 
single-celled organism lives in its environment and gets everything it needs from its environment. So if it needs sugar, it's got to get it from the external environment. But that's okay because it's in the external environment. When you get to a large multicellular organism like the human body, most of the cells don't have access to the environment. So now I've got to find a way it's basically a supply chain problem. I've got to find a way to get all the things my cells need to them from the environment. So oxygen, sugar, and I have to be able to, to uh, slough off or expunge all the things that I don't need, the toxic by byproducts of chemical reactions like carbon dioxide. If, if that's allowed to build up, build up in your body, it will kill you. So you have to you have to be able to bring in the things that you need and adios the things that you don't need. And uh, that's, a, that's actually a really su substantial, just-in-time supply chain problem. It's very, it's just industrial. I know what happens if I don't get oxygen. I, I'm in trouble. Right, in about two minutes, I'm in deep, deep trouble. So the problem of cascading problems is, uh, is just engineering. So this is the way engineers approach a problem. So the one, my favorite is, uh, getting oxygen to all of your cells because it's sort of touches everything and it's and we all understand that this is a problem i've got i know what happens if i don't get oxygen i i'm in trouble right in about two minutes i'm in deep deep trouble so the problem of cascading problems is i've got to get oxygen to every one of these 30 some trillion cells in my body and uh but oxygen doesn't dissolve well in water. I've got this perfectly good cardiovascular system to transport oxygen, but it can't hold oxygen. So I need, I need iron molecules attached to a multimer called hemoglobin, which is made up of two beta-globin molecules and two alpha-globin molecules. And that iron is what the oxygen sticks to, so it binds to the oxygen molecule, and it can be carried through the blood system, right? So, uh, but, but you've got these issues like, how do I attach the, where, where does the oxygen come from? How does it get attached to one of these bl red blood cells? And when it gets out into the capillaries, how does it leave? How does it detach from the hemoglobin and get into the cell? So you've got walls and there's all kinds of stuff that has to happen to make that work. So the engineering of that is pretty profound. But then, then how, do, how do I get iron to the blood marrow, to the marrow in, in my bones to make red blood cells? Well, it's got to come in through the gastrointestinal tract. But how does the gastrointestinal tract, which is also lined with uh, epithelial tissue, how does it absorb iron. So you need mechanisms for that. So that's another problem I'm going to have to solve. Now iron's toxic, so I have to have a transport molecule that will bind to that iron to prevent it from interacting with the wrong things in my body, which will also kill me. So I've got, as I go through this 
I'm, I'm touching every system in the body. Uh, and, and I think the, the problem of cascading problems is I could start with any problem in the body and probably touch every other system by the time I solve that one problem. So the problems just kind of expand as you go through to, to find a real solution. Again, it has to work in the real world, right? So if, if one of these problems doesn't get solved, my cells don't get oxygen and I'm dead. So there are, um, there, there are two really hard problems in life. One is uh, being alive. So, right, you have all these natural problems, problems with physics, problems with fluid dynamics, problems with electrical currents that your body has to solve, problems turning photons into electrical signals and then having a brain that turns them into a visual system. These are the things you need to be alive and they're very hard to do. So that's the first problem with being alive. The second problem is reproducing life. So I got to make another body. That's an extraordinarily hard problem. And most people, because it happens all the time, just think that must be easy. It's just natural, but it is nothing of the kind. It's extraordinarily complicated. And if pretty much anything goes wrong, there's no next generation. So what makes these hard problems hard is that there are so many systems that have to be in place all at the same time to solve these problems. So you need all of the systems in your body in order to be alive. There's, it depends on how you count. Uh, I think we, we call it 11 systems in, in our book. If you take away any of those systems, or if any of those 11 systems fails, you're dead. There's, you can't go on. Um, and there's no way to recover from that. So with reproduction, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You have all of the sexual machinery, all of the developmental machinery. You have transitional problems from going from birth to life outside the womb. Uh, of which there are quite a number, and they have to happen at exactly the right time, or you're dead. So what makes these problems hard is the systems interactions, the systems interdependencies, the orchestration of the processes that have to work. Everything has to happen in the right order at the right time. And if that gets messed up, you're in deep trouble. One of the first things that captured my attention when I started working with Howard uh, on this book was the respiratory system. Your heart creates very high pressure in your arteries. So you have these, the arteries around your heart where the pressure is the highest have very thick walls. They're, they're designed to withstand very high pressure. But as you move out into your body and eventually get to the tiniest little capillaries in, uh, next to your cells, if the walls were still thick, you wouldn't be able to exchange chemicals between the blood cell and the lining of that capillary. So, so the walls have to be very, very thin. So you have this 
fluid dynamics problems that has to be solved. Now, that's not my area of expertise, but it's really obvious. You have high pressure at one place, and you have low pressure with very low flow um, in, in just where you need to do that chemical exchange. And the red blood cells, because they've been enucleated, their nucleus is gone, and they can deform going through those narrow capillaries and increase the surface area of the cell as it's rubbing against the walls of the capillary. So it maximizes the exchange of chemicals between the two. It's absolutely brilliant. I wish I'd thought of it. The push-pull principle is uh, having two separate systems that do the opposite in the body to, to help her function. For So a classic example would be your heart. You have the sinus node in the right atrium that tells your heart uh, how fast to pump. And it's under the control of the autonomic nervous system. So at rest, something called the parasympathetic nervous system sends out a hormone called acetylcholine, and it tells the heart to pump slow and softer, not, not really hard. Once you get active, that turns off, and the sympathetic nervous system turns on and sends out a hormone called norepinephrine. And that's what makes your heart run a lot harder and faster. And so your heart is always going back and forth between these uh, control mechanisms. In fact, it's pretty popular now to claim that there's some system or other in the body, the human body in particular, that uh, is poorly designed. These are pretty popular. They, they get a lot of laughs from, you know, loving audiences. But what the advocates of these arguments don't understand is that in engineering, there is a whole discipline around reviewing designs, evaluating designs. And none of that discipline gets applied to these examples. And so in... In this book, we have a chapter where we talk about what those steps are. How do you evaluate a design? Uh, how do you know whether it's a good design or not a good design? And then, regardless of whether it's a good design or a bad design, was it designed or can you infer from the properties of the system that you're looking at, can you infer that it somehow was an accident? And so we, we do deal with that in some depth, and uh, we have one chapter on that, because it's, it's important. People are very confused by that argument, and we, we really want them to see that there are better ways to ask the questions that will allow them to find better answers. And as with almost everything, in my view, in the human body, the best way is through an engineering approach. So let's be an engineer and evaluate the design in a disciplined way. The reason we think that intelligent design was behind the human body is that uh, there's, there's literally no other way for this a system of systems of this kind to come into existence. ever shown that it can be done in any other way and we as human engineers know we know how to build stuff like this we know what the causal capabilities of these 
causal factors are. We know what they can and cannot do. And when we look at the human body, there's just no other possible explanation than if there were at least at one or more points in history, there were discrete leaps in functionality. Gradual cannot get there. If you have to be alive at every step, you can't get there gradually. You have to have some sort of discrete jump in functionality. And that goes against all of the materialist, naturalist explanations of how these things came to be. So we're, we're definitely swimming upstream with this, but we're swimming downstream with the data because the data supports this. No one can argue with the facts in the human body that we discuss in this book. Uh, these are, these are just inarguable. Uh, that's pure medicine, pure engineering. So the question is, how can you make these things? And without intention, there's too many degrees of freedom. As an example, when you bring home that box with the picture of the lawnmower on the outside, how many different ways can you assemble those parts? And how many of the ways that you can assemble those parts actually result in a lawnmower? And for some of us, you know, we have to try them off before we get the lawnmower. And that's, you know, you don't get a working lawnmower if you don't do it correctly. The systems in the human body, there are the 11 major systems and all the thousands and thousands of subsystems and sub-subsystems, they all show us that only when everything's in the right place, doing the right thing in the right way at the right time, with the right dynamics and the right capacities, can the human body work? Well, the only way you can overcome all of the causal hurdles to make a system of this kind or system of systems of this kind work is by intending it to work and then acting to make it happen. We see in the human body all the makings of the best possible design, the many systems that have to be in place, the fine tuning of those systems to achieve exact outcomes in exactly the right ways and exactly the right times. And there's no other way this can be accomplished but by a mind, a mind working with the physical properties of matter to make these things come about. system there's basically three levels of immunity first of all there's just a passive system so it's called the epithelium that's what the skin is type of epi has epithelium and then all the lining of the respiratory and uh, gastrointestinal genital system uh, is basically like a passive it's like a wall you know, think of it like a, a wall sitting around a city and then below that you have uh, what's called the innate immune system which everybody has and is born with and uh, those are cells that will start responding to uh, bacteria or viruses that get through. And then what they do is they'll, uh, they'll, they'll attack them and then provide information for the, what's called the adaptive immune system, uh, which will form antibodies which are more specific. It takes a few, a few days for them to build up. And then it'll also form a memory. 
allows us uh, to quickly defend ourselves in the future if we're, if we're attacked by the same bacteria or something similar in the future. Life is a hard problem because first at the cellular level, the uh, cell is surrounded by a cell membrane and everything inside the cell has to stay there. The volume and the chemical concentration uh, has to be kept under control besides everything else that it makes and does. So it is exposed to the natural forces such as diffusion and osmosis, which if, if not controlled, the cell will die. And so for that, it has something called a sodium potassium pump in the cell membrane, which, which spends a, one quarter of your energy at rest getting rid of sodium and, get, and bringing potassium back into the cell to keep the cell stable. And then expanding from there, we have to go into a multicellular organism where all the cells in the body need a lot of chemicals such as oxygen and sugar, proteins, etc. But not, they can't get it from their environment, so we need to have multi-systems, multi-organ systems to provide that for them. So this is multiple problems that have to be solved. breath, uh, something is telling you to take a breath. So how does that work? Well, you have the oxygen carbon dioxide sensors in your main arteries that are going up to your brain and sending information to the respiratory center that's in your brain. And it analyzes that information and then sends uh, messages down to your muscles of respiration to breathe. So the whole control, control system requires immediately a sensor, a, a, a control logic or an integrator, and then an effector to do something about what's going on. And you just can't see how that could come into being um, by, by random chance. So on top of that, the um, respiratory center has to sort of know how much oxygen you need at a given moment. So when you're sitting there, you know, sleeping at night, you need 250 milliliters per minute of oxygen. So it, it's telling you breathe at, at the proper rate. Most people will breathe 12 times a minute, and they technically at 350 milliliters of of oxygen into their blood and, and that works out to how much oxygen you need. Or when you get active, you know, the heart starts to beat faster in response to that. You start breathing faster. You know, those are all uh, set points, things in the, in the body that it knows what it should do at that time. So those are examples of you know, how the body seems to know what to do to keep you alive. Coherence is, uh, is a property of systems where the system is made of multiple parts, each of which is specialized to solve a sub-problem. So you can think of an adjustable wrench where you maybe have three parts. You have the fixed part of the wrench, you have a movable part, and then you have a little screw that adjusts the wrench. So you have three parts, but they all have to be coherent in that they have to work together. They have to fit together. The threads on the little screw have to be the same size as the notches on the adjustable part. And so it's essential to function for all the parts to be just the way they are. And the body is filled with coherent systems. Almost everything in the body has this notion of coherence.
Cascading problems uh, basically refers to the idea that you start with one problem and then you think you've solved it and then you find out you have another problem. So for example, the first, the most important thing that your cells need is oxygen. You need other things too, but without oxygen the cells die very quickly. So your body has a respiratory system that brings in oxygen and controls the oxygen level with various activities. So you bring, once you bring the oxygen into the blood, then you're faced with another problem because the oxygen doesn't dissolve well in blood, so you have to have hemoglobin to carry the oxygen. But if you need a certain amount of oxygen, then that means you have to have a certain amount of hemoglobin. So the hemoglobin has to be controlled. So you have kidney cells that sense the oxygen level and they set up a hormone called erythropoietin. And the erythropoietin travels in the blood and attaches to specific receptors on stem cells in the bone marrow. And it tells those stem cells to become red blood cells. Another problem you got solved, okay, now we're controlling how many red cells are made. But then we run into another problem because hemoglobin won't work unless it's got enough iron. And if iron is free in the body or in the cell, it's toxic. So you need to be able to control the iron in the body and also its transport. So the liver makes a hormone called hepcidin that tells the intestine how much iron to bring in. And it also makes a transport protein called transferrin, which carries iron throughout the body. So at this point now, okay, we've got enough blood with enough hemoglobin with enough iron to carry enough oxygen. So now you need a cardiovascular system to pump the blood throughout the body. But your body has certain activity levels, uh, such as if you're running, you need to, your heart has to speed up. So now you need the autonomic nervous system to tell the heart how hard and fast to pump uh, when you're active. So that's cascading problems. So in order to solve the one problem of getting enough oxygen to every cell in your body, you need a respiratory system, you need the bone marrow, you need the kidneys, you need the GI system, you need the liver, you need the cardiovascular system and the, auto, and the autonomic nervous system. Without any of those, you cannot accomplish it. That's engineering. At least that's what I've been told. <laughs>